Well, we're in a broader series and talking about faith foundations as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and is teaching about these key foundations of faith that are necessary for the Christians that Timothy is going to go and address. And we're in a small section here where here we have the Apostle Paul talking about being honorable. And you might be like, well, I remember that title from two weeks ago. And uh, there's the second part of this as well. As Paul's really speaks to the details of what it looks like to be a Christian who is living in a way that God desires, a truly honorable way. And it's in ways that we probably wouldn't think too much about. We saw in chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago this great concern for widows and a concern for how we speak to one another. And in this section in 1 Timothy 5 from verse 17 to chapter 6 verse 2, you have three areas of relationships that Paul wants to talk about. He wants to talk about how we will act with the elders, how we act with those who seem to be disciples but are false, and then how we are to act with those who would be our employers or authorities that are over us. And certainly as we go through this, we're going to see some key truths that are to be taught. But one of the things that I think is really important to look at is the nature by which of what God is calling for Christians to act like and how they are ultimately to deal with those who are in the world and deal with those who are within the body of Christ. So that's what we're going to look at then this morning. Verses 17 through 23 is a discussion that begins about how elders are supposed to be treated within the local church. Now, You might think that's not terribly interesting or important, but consider there's not a lot of information about that in the scriptures. We do have like in first Peter chapter five about how the elders are supposed to lead the flock. They lead by example, not by coercion or lording it over the flock. You also have in the scriptures like in Hebrews chapter 13 where the flock are to uh, listen to your leaders and, and follow them, obey them because they're watching out for your souls. But in terms of the dynamic, the relationship between those who are the spiritual leaders and those who are the flock, this text right here is really the largest amount of information that we have In regards to what that would look like. And you'll notice as the Apostle Paul begins, he says in verse 17, Let the elders who lead well or rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Immediately, Paul returns to the idea of respect and the idea of honor. And he gives the picture here of the elders then being worthy of this honor. But he goes further and says they're also worthy of a financial consideration as well. And he uses two proofs there in verse 18, just as the laborer there deserves his wages. And he says in verse 18, just as the as an ox is not to be muzzled as it treads out the grain. Two quotations 
from the Old Testament to prove his point. And I think it is interesting to think about that idea. I don't know about you, but I think in all of my years that I have been around churches with an eldership, and I grew up in a very large church with an eldership, and when I was in a preaching training program, I was in a church with an eldership, and all my time in college I was in churches that had elderships, I can't think of any place where I've ever seen elders receiving financial compensation for the work that they do. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. In fact, I would say that's a very honorable thing to think about the men who have served in that capacity for years upon years in various churches all over the earth and how they do that really out of a heart's desire. And I think it's important to see that it is within the boundaries and the scope of God's will that those who would who would rule well and do well at that are not only worthy of certainly our honor, but are worthy of that financial consideration as well. And I think it just speaks so highly to generally speaking for all that I've ever experienced in my life that I know of so many men who just did that out of simply their heart. And you might remember that that's why one of the qualifications speaks of not for gain. That you're not doing it because it's a way to have money. You're doing it because you love souls. You love sheep. It's your heart's desire to help and lead them. And that is certainly the picture that is being given here of these who would be worthy of of this honor. I think in, in talking about that, we ought to consider that this does give us a window into the life of the first century church. And it's important to try to get those snapshots when they're presented to us. Because who wouldn't want to know and be able to be a fly on the wall in the first century and see exactly how they did everything and and how it all played out. And you get a picture of that here in him saying here that let those who are leading well be worthy, consider of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching tells us that not all the elders were involved in a full time preaching and teaching. Some of them were, some of them could be, but not all of them. And I think that's important to observe is that it can be that elders would do that, but not necessarily, which gives you the picture of why Paul would be writing to Timothy. What is Timothy doing? Well, he's not one of the elders there, but he's preaching and teaching to the church there and laying out these directions multiple times in this book. We have seen Paul tell Timothy, command these things, teach these things, tell them these things. And so that teaching doesn't have to only come from the elders. It also can come from others. But I want to flip it the other way for a minute. Which is when he says, especially those elders who do preach and teach. I know in my life, I've heard sometimes people say, well, I would be really concerned for somebody who is the preacher to also be the elder because they would have too much power. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I've, I've heard that. Mainly when I was a kid. And I want us to kind of think about that for a minute. One, notice the text says that that is valid. That elders who are laboring, who are working at preaching and teaching is something that the scriptures give. 
But if we were ever to have a person where you would look at them and you would say, I'm afraid that that's giving that person too much power. That person should never be an elder. And that person should never be a preacher. (laughs) I just put that right out there. Anybody where you would have that kind of concern should no longer be teaching the gospel in this kind of capacity and should certainly not be considered for the office of the eldership. You are given a picture here of those who are doing this well, who are sacrificing themselves, who are giving themselves for the flock. And under those circumstances, of course, they would be leading and preaching and teaching. We talked about that when we did the qualifications back in chapter 3, that the elders lead in ultimately two ways. They lead by example and they lead through teaching. Not by telling people what to do and beating them on the head. Lead by example, lead by teaching. And so I think it is just important to take that sidestep and just notice that statement, how it's laid out right there, that that gives diversity of what that first century church looked like, that there would be elders, but there would be a preacher like Timothy here in Ephesus. There could be elders and no preacher because the elders are doing the teaching. That's just as possible. You could have elders over the church and only some of the elders or one of them is doing the teaching and the rest are not. You have a variety that here you see the Apostle Paul giving in that by just saying, especially those that gives that option that's laid out here. And then the owner continues in verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. There needs to be a protection to the leaders against illegitimate complaints. I think that's important that you see the apostle Paul Giving that picture here that we would not accept the complaining or charges if it's just simply from one person. That's not to be accepted. If one person has a complaint or lays a charge here, there's a warning here. It needs to be on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so with that protection, though, does not mean that elders are above approach. We talked about that in chapter three. We said elders are above reproach, but not necessarily above approach. And you see that in the rest of the sentence there, verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Persistent sin always ends up before the church. It doesn't matter who you are. And the elders are not an exception. If two or three witnesses were to come to an elder and say, here's the sin that you're committing and he persists in it, here's what's supposed to happen. That that would be put before the church so that the rest would stand in fear and that sin would be dealt with. And so it's important to also see that an eldership is not set in a special category and nobody can come to them and say, I've got these concerns or all that kind of thing. That's not it. But on the other hand, you also have a concern that it wouldn't be one person trying to destroy an eldership because of their own personal concerns or because of their own complaints. In fact, You will notice that that's ultimately where the text goes in verse 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Notice there's this protection being put into place. 
This isn't about favoritism. This isn't about a bias or or prejudging. We want everything to be done honorably. We want everything to be done respectfully. And so we do not charge the elders because we don't like them. (laughs) I think it's so interesting, verse 21, in its location. Keep these things without partiality. This isn't about popularity contests. This isn't about who I like and don't like. This isn't about, well, we don't get along really well, or this person's really not close to me, or we're not good friends. That's not what this is about. This is about those who are serving and doing so in a way that God desires. And so he gives a warning to Timothy about when we do this, it would be a a process without favoritism or without bias or without prejudice. In fact, notice that this verse is really a hinge verse because you would have this connect back to verse 20 in that how we approach the eldership, the evidence of two or three witnesses and those who persist in sin, that this is done properly and honorably without bias or prejudging. But notice it also folds forward in verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. When it talks about laying hands on, it's talking about the appointment of elders. And that also should be done without favoritism, without bias, and without all of those kinds of things. I don't know if you've ever been a part of that. It is certainly a sad thing to observe when that kind of thing happens. When the idea of having an eldership and having leadership and it boils down to personalities and it boils down to favoritism and it boils down to a prejudice, those kinds of things are just absolutely awful, but they also are highly destructive. And I think it is interesting to see That what Paul tells Timothy is in regards to handling sin and in regards to appointing an eldership, there should not be any favoritism. Shouldn't be any prejudging. There shouldn't be any bias. We should all handle this in an honorable way. And I want you to notice verses 24 and 25. Don't worry, I'm not skipping 23. I'll be back to that in just a minute. But in verse 24, notice where he ends up going. In verse 24, the sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not... Cannot remain hidden. Notice that he has started at, the, at verse 22 saying, Do not take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stay away from that. And here's one of the reasons why. Verse 24 Some sins are obvious, they're clear, they're public, they're evident. But other sins are not. But did you catch the warning? Those sins eventually come out. Like they have in the scriptures. Be sure your sin will find you out. Notice that the Apostle Paul says that idea here. There are sins that are clear and obvious and evident. And there are sins that eventually reveal themselves. And notice that the other side of the coin is just as true. In verse 24, in verse 25, he also says, Good works are also evident. And even those that are not, are not, they eventually come to light too. 
There's an interesting phenomenon that God has about the things that we do. You can try to keep things secret, but eventually those things come out. So do you want the things that eventually to come out to be your sins or your good works? Some good works are obvious, but eventually your good works will come out. Some sins are obvious, but eventually your sins will come out. In essence, our life choices will eventually be seen. You can't hide it. The choices that are made in your life year after year after year after year. Everybody eventually sees the fruit of that. There's no way to hide the fruit of the things that you've done. And the way you've lived your life and the choices that you made. Eventually people see that. Eventually that becomes evident to all. And that's what I think the Apostle Paul gives here as he says in verse 22. So keep yourself pure, Timothy. Keep yourself above board. Don't fall into the sins of what others are participating in. Understand that either your good works will come to light or your sins will come to light. You know, sometimes sometimes we fall in those categories. We can fall into category one. What's the point of doing good works? I mean, nobody's going to see all this good I'm trying to do. You know, sometimes there's this this feeling of um, a lack of appreciation. Well, nobody sees the hard work I'm doing for God. Nobody sees all the work I'm doing for the Lord or doing for the church or doing and teaching. Nobody, nobody says anything. I want you to see that God is clearly saying he sees And isn't that the most important thing? In fact, isn't that the only thing? Is that God would see those good works that we're doing. That we would be concerned about that and not about appreciation. Not about a pat on the back or people making sure that they say something because we've done something good. But eventually, the good that we do, it will become evident. As we do the things for God and we spend our time serving Him and we give Him our all, that becomes evident. It becomes evident in the fruit of our lives and the things that we do. People will see that. And it is evident in the changed lives of other people when we do those good works. We should never be concerned about, well, nobody knows and nobody sees and what's the point? By contrast, how many times do we commit sins because we think? Nobody knows. Nobody sees. It doesn't really matter. And I'm keeping these things hidden. Notice God is using the very same motivation in both arenas. Do good. It's going to come out and God knows it. Stay away from sin because your sin's going to come out and God knows it. It's the same motivation going both directions. Do good. Do what God wants. And you will be rewarded by God. And those good works certainly will be born in fruit. But doing sin, those things will certainly come to the light. And so we recognize then who we are can only be concealed for so long. I think we've probably experienced a lot of that over the past few years of public figures who seem to be good people. And then it finally comes out. I can't tell you how many sports figures that, you know, when you're a kid, you go, oh, man, they're amazing. You think they're so great. And then you just give it enough time and you go, boy, they're really a terrible person. 
and really let me down. I thought that they were, you know, this devoted family man and tried to live a good life. And they weren't. Who you are eventually comes out. You can only cover for so long. You can only be a hypocrite for so long. It'll eventually come out. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Teach these things to the Christians there. And reminding Timothy himself, don't engage in sin. Don't be a part of that because these things ultimately come out. Now I want you to notice verse 23 because I think this is an important question. Why is this here? (laughs) Is that not just kind of like dropped out of an airplane into the text and you're like, that's really jarring in the middle of this to say, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Paul, why did you put that right here? And why was that saved for all time as the word of God? Why is that laid out here? But I want you to notice that you have a context of purity surrounding the statement right before verse 23. Do not take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And then right after that, the sins of some are conspicuous, but even those that are not will remain hidden. Now, I have to do a little bit of backward engineering to try to figure out, okay, what is going on with Paul and Timothy that you would say this at this moment? But I think the implication that we could make that is fair is by saying this right here, there seems to be the intention on Timothy's part that he is going to show a pure life by completely staying away from alcohol. And here Paul says, live a pure life. But understand something, that purity is going to be seen in your lifestyle. It's not going to be just because you basically, as he seems to be implying here in verse 23, for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. It's not going to be seen because you're hurting yourself by not being able to take some alcohol to be able to deal with your ailments. Remember, water in the first century, not good. (laughs) Not good at all. Didn't want that. And so Paul seems to be telling Timothy, you could do this. And notice that that really connects well with what was said earlier in 1 Timothy 4. Remember the problem that you saw in chapter 4 was you had some coming along claiming, you know, don't get married. Completely abstain from marriage. This is completely abstain from certain foods. And Paul's teaching point was everything that has been created by God is good and is to be received with prayer and thanksgiving. What's the problem? How we use it. How we use it. That's the problem. And I think that's the point that Paul's making to Timothy here. Is... Use it properly. Fine. Keep yourself pure. Great. But understand, true purity is going to eventually be seen. That's that's verse 25. And verse 24, those who are truly sinning, that'll come out too. And I think that's why that parenthetical of sorts sits in the middle of this section of purity is it almost seems that Timothy had taken this too far and Paul was saying... Rain that back in and understand that purity is about all of your life. And you need to be careful then in how you perceive what purity before God would look like. Now, 
final idea. Notice this in chapter 6, verse 1. I, I, terrible chapter break, but, you know, I say that a lot. Verse 1. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, rather that they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. I think this is really an amazing, amazing statement. Verse 1. Let all who are under the yoke of slavery regard their own masters of worthy of honor. I want you to think about that for a minute. Notice he doesn't qualify that by saying, I want you to honor those who are worthy of honor. That's how I think I would have written that. (laughs) Those who are doing a good job and are kind and showing those Christian qualities, you honor them. Notice a point that he's being made, is being made here. You honor those who are over you. Why? Notice the rest. So that the name of God is not slandered and the teaching of God is not slandered. What God is always concerned about is how we represent Christ in everything we say and everything we do. I feel like that's been one of the things that I've tried to say a lot. We represent Christ by every action we take and by every word we say. And I think every four years I remind us of that. Come into the heat of politics. You are to represent Christ in everything you say and everything you do so that the name of God is not slandered and neither is the teaching. That is of the utmost importance. And I think it is so interesting to see a picture that is given here in chapter 6 and verse 1 to say here, even those who would be under yoke as slaves still regard your own masters with honor. Now there was always this statement that you have like in Philemon as well as here is that as Christians, you are always submitting to authorities. You always submit to whoever is over you. That's why I always will make the point. When Peter says in 1 Peter 5 to honor the king or honor the emperor, you know who the emperor was at that time when he wrote that? Emperor Nero. Is there anything honorable about that guy? Nothing that I've read in history. He's a terrible person. He's a horrible, wicked man. And always the scriptures say, whoever is above you, no matter what that level is, no matter how low or how high, you honor and submit to them. That's what Christians do. And I think that's so important to see. It is so important to keep in mind. That we are supposed to honor whoever it is that's in charge of us. Whoever it is that possesses authority. Even down to this granular in our minds to say, even those who would have masters who are, who are over them. For us, you need to honor your employer. Honor your boss. Well, my boss is a dirty jerk and he's wicked and he's... 
You still have to live in a way that is honorable, that reflects Christ, that everything we say and do shows that Christ is the priority so that the name of God and the teaching is not slandered. There is no exception here of, well, if he's a really bad person or we don't really like him or anything like that. We are supposed to be people who act honorably. Verse 2 is interesting because it flips the other side. Let's suppose you are in a fortunate situation where the one who has authority over you is actually another Christian. You'd say, all right, (laughs) good deal. And he says, don't take advantage of them. Just because they're being kind and merciful and nice and lenient doesn't mean now you get to take advantage of them. Don't misuse those who are extending that goodness to you. Don't do that. Don't sit there and go, oh, I can get away with it. He's a really nice guy. He's really kind. He's a Christian. He won't do anything about it. He says, don't do that. Here's one of the things that I really want us to take away in putting these three sections together. A section in in 1 Timothy, this fifth chapter, is one that you kind of go, okay, uh, widows, elders, uh, all right, whatever. I want us to see something really big here. The, The obvious is we need to be honorable in everything that we say and we do, but it's far bigger than that. Because it would have been very easy for Paul to say, Be honorable in everything you say and you do. Be honorable to the widows. Be honorable to the elders. Be honorable to your masters. Be honorable to your employers. Be honorable in everything and just leave it. But I want you to see the amount of text that is spent going over this shows us something really important. If we are going to live lives that are truly honorable before God, it means we have to pay attention to the details. And what I mean by that is you are not going to wake up on Monday and live an honorable life by accident. It doesn't happen. Honorable living is an intentional living. You have to choose To talk and act in an honorable way. It doesn't happen naturally. Because the first thing that happens is somebody does something to us. Or we get riled up about something. And honor goes out the window. And we're back to talking and doing things we shouldn't be doing. The reason why Paul has to spend so much time here is to help us really see to be honorable in the way that God wants us to be requires doing it with great intention. Every day, we need to think about every relationship area that we have and by great detail, think about how am I going to live in an honorable way in that relationship. Because it won't be by accident. When you drive home today, you're in your car, what are you going to do to show honor as you're driving? You see, if you don't think about that ahead of time, you're not going to be honorable. (laughs) Especially these days. Man. (laughs) We all forgot how to drive over the past six months. We all got locked up. 
How are you going to show honor to each other in the room as soon as amen is said? And we start to leave. You see, this is what Paul is doing with the intention. He's just on a short, hey, be honorable to everybody. What are the specific steps that you will take when we say amen and we begin to go? How will we show honor? When we're in the car, how will we show honor? When we get home today, how are we going to show honor in the home? What will you do to show honor to your co-workers tomorrow when you're at work? What are you going to do to show honor to your boss? Whoever's over you, whoever's in charge of you, whoever you have to report to. How are you going to show honor tomorrow in that? You see, it's not going to happen by accident. It is so important for us to clearly think about what will I do today that's going to reveal that I am a Christian and show that kind of honor? How will I show honor to people when I'm at a restaurant? How will I show honor to people when I'm getting my coffee? Never had it in my life. There's so many areas of life. Think about all the people you encounter every single day. What will your honor look like? What are you going to say? How are you going to represent Christ? How will you submit to them? How will you show them honor? If we are not actively thinking about honor, it's just simply not going to happen. And let me remind us of what verses 24 and 25 told us. Good works are obvious. And they're eventually going to come out if you've been doing them. But sins are also obvious. And those that are not will eventually come out into the light. What will we do with the day that God has given you today? To show honor to everybody you know in every relationship, family, friends, workers, every arena, every person you encounter, submit to them, speak honorably, act honorably. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father. Lord, sometimes it truly feels like representing you and living in an honorable way in a wicked time is of extraordinary difficulty. We live in a time, Lord, with great challenges, and you know that. We live in a world that has ultimately rejected you, and you know that. We live in a time that is fearful, and you know that. And God, we pray for the courage to speak and live in an honorable way that never slanders or causes any kind of blaspheming of you or your teaching. Lord, help us to have the courage to submit 
to whatever authorities are over us, whether we like the authorities or not, whether we are pleased with how we are treated or not, that, Lord, that we would recognize that ultimately our submission is to you. God, help us to see that. Help us to have hearts that are not combative, but rather desirous of reflecting you in the world around us. God, forgive us. For when we have said things that do not represent you, when we've done things and participated in things that have not represented you, help us to be of a quiet, submissive heart and help our mouths to always speak about your glory and goodness. And Lord, help us so that we live in a way that gives you the honor, that gives you the glory. Lord, help us to be ever aware every day of how our words and our actions are being looked at by the rest of the world. Lord, it is our heart's desire that the world would be saved. We look at this county and all the work that there is to do. Lord, we want to be your image bearers. We want to bring the good news to the world around us. Give us the courage to do it and help us to say it and help us to live it. God, in this pandemic, Lord, we pray that not only would you be with us, that you would take this away, but as we go through it, Lord, that we could be beacons of light, that we could be the ones to show that this is the opportunity for people to look to you. Help us to use this time as a time to honor you and help us to be ever more focused on living in a way that represents you and being honorable in every way. In Jesus' name. Amen.